We've an update on the Monsanto Bayer merger on the programme this week. How are things going since last year's change? We've actually uh, moved into the Bayer office now, so we've got colleagues really starting to work together. And later, we're with the children learning where their food comes from. The thing I've enjoyed most already is naming the parts of the sheep. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Good morning. Let's start with the latest on equine flu. All race meetings have been cancelled this weekend while we await results from 100 stables after three cases were identified in vaccinated horses in the week. It'll cost the horse racing industry millions of pounds, but of course it's not just race horses that could also be affected if the disease was to spread. James Given is a trainer from Willerton. I think you have to sort of look at it in sort of short, medium and long term. Short term, uh, we've missed a couple of races. Um, like we had a horse meant to be running at Newcastle and she was odds on favourite. So she was very well fancied to win it. It was the specific conditions of the race that uh, were suitable for her. And it'd be hard to find that race again for her, for us or for her once the uh, ban is lifted. Um, so that's annoying. We had meant to have a runner at Newcastle. You were in uh, Chelmsford yesterday uh, for game for a horse um, and we'd waited a while to get the specific conditions of the race and the next race that even is comparable to that is until the 27th of March. So th- th- that short-term annoyance factor. Um, fortunately, though, we haven't been affected by the disease. Uh, all our horses, touch wood, are healthy so far. Um, and while we did have an entry at Wolverhampton on Monday... We didn't go, so there's a bit of good luck there because otherwise we'd be on shutdown and having everything tested because there's a, a rare chance that we might have been um, uh, come in contact with a horse that could have come, come in contact with horses that are now testing positive. So anyway, we didn't go, so we're not on shutdown. Um, so that's like the short term. You know, we meant to have a runner up Sutherland Sunday. The game we'd waited for that sort of conditions that suit her particularly. It's just. That's the short-term annoyance. It's missing opportunities to win money for our clients and win races. Um, more medium-term is, uh, you know, how, is it, how long is this going to uh, affect the industry and how long is it going to keep us on shutdown? Um, I guess we're going to find out more about that as the, the horses that were in the stable that had some positives this week at Donald McCain's how many more of them test positive this week and indeed if the two horses or the three horses the one that went to Wolverhampton on Monday or Ludlow and Eyre on Wednesday if they came back testing positive that's really going to put the cat amongst the pigeons because they could easily then have disseminated the virus to horses that they might have come in contact and if you can think of it as almost like a sort of sort of inverse spider's web you know one touches 20 that disappear back that each touch another 40 horses and suddenly it's you know a massively grown problem but if those horses all test clear and therefore the horses in the yards that might have had contact all test clear then one would be fairly confident that it's been contained and not spread and i would hope at that point they would feel confident enough the authorities to you know put racing back to to normal and long term well It'd be long term if we did catch the disease here. There would be a you know issue. If you ever had flu yourself, which I'm sure most people have, um, then it's not only is it, is it the acute phase of the disease where you just feel grotty, your appetite's gone, you're running a temperature, and as humans we just sort of hide under the duvet and the horses hide under their rugs in the straw. You know they just wait for it to blow over. But almost more importantly, from a racing point of view, it's, it's after that. Once you've had a dose of flu. flu quite often you can just feel grotty for two three four weeks sometimes even longer than that you just feel a bit not a hundred percent 
and, and the, the horses are mammals like us and the flu affects them in very very similar ways to affects us and, and you can have that just outwardly the horse's appetite's returned it's cantering away nicely at home but when push comes to shove on the race course he's just a bit under the under the weather and therefore not able to show or she the her his or her true ability and then and that affects the um opportunities to win races that's james given trainer at willerton we'll know tomorrow if those rules on equine flu have been lifted or indeed if there could yet be wider implications now it is the farming program so uh, time for our weekly update on the grain markets from open field rebecca pierce has the news you need this week hello rebecca good morning sean Since my last broadcast on the radio, the UK wheat market has weakened further. However, versus a week ago continues to trade in a similar range, with London wheat futures only marginally lower on the week on both May 19 old crop and November 19 new crop, with May 19 closing at 171 on Thursday evening and November closing at 151.50, down a pound or two on the week. In all honesty, the market has very much been treading water, it's felt, this week, ahead of the latest from the USDA, which was released on Friday evening. Domestically, values at the farm gate remain range-bound, and with both ethanol plants in the north still closed, the regional premium for grain in the north of England has come under pressure as the season has progressed, with grain in Yorkshire now trading close to parity to that in Lincolnshire. So with March only a little over a fortnight away, what does the future look like for those with old crop wheat left to sell? Some figures say we will have a surplus, yet the physical market feels fairly tight. Consumers appear to have adequate cover up until April, yet April to June there seems a lot of business still to write. But with imported corn kicking about, tight doesn't necessarily mean the market will go up. If the likes of the US and the EU markets weaken further, London may well follow suit and our prices could well slide a little more. And as to where the American and European wheat markets will go, well, that's anyone's guess. The market remains concentrated on whether or not rising domestic Russian flour prices will slow down wheat exports and therefore improve US and EU export opportunities. To date, the EU exports are running circa 25% behind the same point a year ago. And whether any US and China trade deals will include a purchase of US wheat. You could toss a coin as to where our old crop wheat prices will go, but I echo comments from my colleague Kick Dickinson a week ago about looking at where current prices sit in comparison to your five-year average. Because... Whilst back from the high seen throughout harvest last year, current values still represent a good trade and strong margin opportunity. The barley market has weakened considerably since we last spoke, Sean, due to weakening values across Europe, a lack of export requirement at present and domestic consumers appearing to have ample cover going forward. With Jordan passing up circa 10 offers this week and Saudi remaining absent, it's hard to see an upside to our prices at the farm gate in the short term without a severe weather event or a very wet spring. There remains premiums for both spring and winter malting barley, so it is worth getting in touch with your local open field trader for more information. Similar to the cereal markets, the oilseed rate market continues to trade range-bound this week, with values sitting just shy of £320 a tonne X the farm in the spot market in most areas. Despite announcements of alleged sales of US soybeans to China, a strengthening pound due to the ongoing Brexit situation is doing little to help our values push up at the farm gate. Let's have a look at the prices now. And feed wheat is trading around 165 to 170 pounds a ton for March X the farm, with a pound per ton forward carry per month until May 19. 
New crop values off the combine are trading circa 141 to 146 pounds a ton extra farm, with November 19 prices around 145 to 150 pounds a ton. Feed barley prices are currently between 145 to 150 pounds a ton for March X farm, with 152 to 156 pounds a ton available for May. And looking ahead to harvest 2019, and as available prices off the combine are circa 123 to 129 pounds a ton. Oilseed rape at the moment is trading around 316 to 320 x the farm for March, with new crop price indications circa 305 to 310 pounds a ton off the combine, with a forward carry through to November, where growers are able to achieve around 313 to 318 pounds a ton x the farm. For milling wheat, biscuit wheat, and malting barley premiums, please speak to your local open field farm business manager. Have a lovely Sunday afternoon, and I'll be back with you in a few weeks. Thanks, Rebecca. Rebecca Pierce from Open Field. Now it was May last year that the alleged $66 billion merger of Bayer and Monsanto took place, with some in the industry fearing it could have an effect on smaller farms. Eight months on, how's it going? Jeff Hall is commercial lead of Northwest Europe for Bayer Crop Science. He's told Andrew Ward how it's gone so far. Oh, Andrew, it's been really positive.、Uh, it's been a long haul. We've had two years up to the final、uh, day one for the merger, and、uh, we've actually、uh, moved into the Bayer office now. So we've got colleagues really starting to work together and really starting to look at how our decalp seed business is going to fit in with the the Bayer crop protection business. And clearly, when we look at Bayer's rationale for buying the business, it was really they bought Monsanto for our seeds and our germplasm business. You know, we are the number one breeder, and, and I'm, we're really proud to be joining what I think is a, a number one crop protection business as well. So, so you think really it was the seed side of it that they really wanted? That was their main envy. That they were sort of envious of your 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 breeding uh, uh, sort of potential of breeding stations and the varieties that you're bringing through. No, absolutely.、Uh, you know, we've got a huge global、uh, germplasm base on corn or maize, as we call it in the UK.、Yeah. We've got cotton. We've got a really nice veg seed business as well. And importantly for us in Europe, and I know you're involved, the all-seed rape business, the decalb all-seed rape business, we're European market leaders with nearly 30% market share. So yeah, that, it was the germplasm base that、uh, I think Bayer really wanted to invest in. And ha- has that、uh, conflicted at all with Bayer, their own seed breeding program? Because obviously they've got their own varieties as well, or do they complement each other?、Um, I, th- I think、uh, you know, with the、uh, the review of the competition commission. You know, there was a request to divest a lot of the Bayer existing、um, germplasm businesses, and a lot of those you probably heard were divested to BASF, which is really nice to see because those are really important programs and they're still available to UK farmers、mm-hmm. within the BASF sort of portfolio. And then we've got Decalb within the Bayer portfolio. So I think it's really bringing more competition and more opportunity and more products for UK farmers, more choice. And and what about active ingredients and、uh, herbicides and, and chemicals and、uh, plant protection products?、Uh, what's the future for those with, with both companies?、Um, you know, I think we'll see. We're going to see continued innovation.、Uh, you know, they're both.、Uh, you know, Bayer is a big R and D business, so we're going to see exciting new actives coming through. Maybe a little bit slower in some cases,、mm. taking a little bit longer to get them to market. Then, just sorry to interrupt, Jeff. Just actually, it'd be great just to explain、uh, the process and the length of time needed for a new new product coming to market. Because I know it's quite a long while, isn't it? Oh goodness, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I'm more involved in seed and genetics,、mm. and even for that, it takes us ten years to bring a new hybrid to market. But I think the timescale is almost the same for some of the ag chem products as well. Maybe even longer, actually, Andrew. I'm not. 
quite up to speed, but I know even the regulatory process now can take time. It has to be very thorough. Uh, you know, there's lots of people who are interested in uh, the dossiers and how the products perform and things, lots of environmental concerns. So things do take a little bit longer maybe than, than they used to. Uh, but we are going to see new products. And then we're going to see some really solid uh, sort of uh, generic type chemistry, you know, like glyphosate and like some of the fungicides. You know, they're going to be still solid products for farmers to use, hopefully cost effective. And then maybe more the exciting new R&D-based products, maybe addressing some new, new solutions for farmers you know, as we move forward. So I think it's going to be a balance of the generic sort of chemistry and then the sort of exciting new R&D-based chemistry for, for some of the new problems and challenges that we've got. I mean, I, I've used both, uh, both products from both companies and, and uh, the merger at the moment, uh, I haven't seen any change in name or branding. How's that going to sort of run in the future? No, I, I think, um, I mean, the decal brand that, we've, that I'm part of, I think is very strong globally. It's uh, recognised by farmers across the world. And I think there'll be continued investment in the decal brand. And the Bayer brand is clearly very strong. Uh, I think we'll see, uh, and we have seen actually the Monsanto name, you know, w- w- will uh, be used less so and will probably move away because at the end of the day, this is now a Bayer business. So, so, you, so it won't be, there won't be a whole new name for the two companies. It will be, still be Bayer. And- I, I, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's the plan. But, but Bayer is, uh, you know, it's a great name. It's a great company. And we're really pleased to be part of such a, a strong European business that's focused on R&D. And the size of the companies now with the two um, um, combined, how, how big are they in, in, in world sort of uh, plant protection products and, and, uh, and seed products? I mean, we're, we're number one. Uh, we're number one of total turnover by quite a way. Um, we're number two on, on seed. The, the Pioneer seed business would still be bigger. The other business within Corteva would still be bigger than our seed business. But the new Bayer organisation is, is a global number one. Jeff Hall there. He's from Bayer Crop Science chatting with Andrew Ward. I'm Sean Dundonell. Let's move on to the other Sean, shall we? Sean Sparling is here with our agronomy update. Hello, Sean. Uh, nothing exciting to report weather-wise still, I see. Yes, morning, Sean. Yeah, I mean, it, the weather just rumbles on, doesn't it? it? It's not doing much at the moment. It's pretty benign. Six mil, that's all I've taken so far in February. We keep getting little torrential, drizzly outbursts, and that's about as good as we get. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed still that over the next four or five weeks or so we get some significant rainfall to set us up for the season that's coming. And the other thing it would do if we got some significant rain would be just stop people from doing jobs on the land that they perhaps shouldn't be doing at the moment. And I'm I'm talking about top dressing cereals, for example, because we all know that nitrogen fertiliser is about 60% efficient. It's not particularly efficient. We can get up higher than that, um, but it's important to get higher than that that we apply it properly. And everybody knows, it's been the case since I was at college, that the most losses occur from the first application and the top-up last application. That's where your losses come from. And often that is because people are charging in too early. You need to be going when the crop is actively growing, when the soil conditions are right. So it's not soaking wet. So if you put ammonium nitrate on, it doesn't just immediately leach because that combination of a slow-growing crop or a lack of growth in a crop and a wet soil means ammonium nitrate will just leach. So people have been saying, well, let's put urea on instead then. 
And yes, there is an argument for that. Urea will not leach it like ammonium nitrate does, but it does volatilise. So if it were to come hot and the crops aren't growing, you lose it to volatilisation. So it is a fine line. And this is the problem with February because it's a month where people have had all that winter and they want to sit back and they want to get going and we want to get crops in the ground and we've got to get some jobs ticked off and out of the way. I think, to me, the wrong job to do at the moment is putting nitrogen fertiliser on crops which are not growing. Soil temperatures are well below three they're just in tick over and if you get significant rain it'll just wash away so don't waste your time at the moment don't make a mess in these fields because they have got a little bit of moisture in them now and they are sticky i can tell you that from walking them um so just don't worry too much about that are you too early to be going putting nitrogen sulfur on all seed rate technically probably yeah by another week or 10 days same reason really um cold wet soils crops not really growing that much if you want to do something out there for old seed rape i suggest you control the pigeon problem because it has really stepped up a notch in this last seven days and to be quite honest with you if you've got one of these kites flying for a 40 acre field you're not doing enough to stop pigeons because they've picked up on the old seed rape any of the thinner crops that's where they're homing in on because it's an easy target and a lot of pigeons can do an awful lot of damage in a very very short space of time so so you really ought to be out there monitoring, get the bangers and the flashes and the crackers and the kites. All of those things work in tandem. All of those things work together. But for goodness sake, monitor these fields. Go up there every day, twice a day, three times a day. You've invested money already in an all seed rate crop. Don't let it go just for the sake of not looking at it for a week and then going back and finding it's gone because they're now starting to find the growing point on some of these crops, which I've said before, leads to a very, very protracted and staggered flowering period which complicates an awful lot of things from fungicide application all the way through and while we're talking about fungicide light leaf spot levels i understand that on the spot check initiative they're finding light leaf spot in about 40 percent of samples now all we know about light leaf spot is that we cannot control it all we can do is protect for around three weeks with even the best chemistry we've got so there is little point putting a fungicide on an all seed rape crop if you've got no growth if it is so slow that the light leaf spot isn't going to grow because it's too cold for it to grow and the all seed rape is not going to have it spread around the canopy because the conditions are all wrong for it so just bide your time monitor the situation make a note of where these issues are remember that if you've got one in seven to one in ten plants affected with light leaf spot and obviously uh, you can't see the latent symptoms so if in doubt take a few leaves put them in a polythene bag stick them in the airing cupboard for a couple of days and just see if that light leaf spot starts to present itself so just because it's in the field doesn't need you need to charge in and protect it because if you put a fungicide on you get three weeks control if there's no growth and the weather comes cold again you've wasted the money on the fungicide so monitor the situation same with black grass get out there if you're putting if you're atlantis and monolith and pacificas if they still work for you then remember the old basics still come in 12k maximum forward speed and apply it to a dry black grass leaf uh, that is key to success, absolute key. So it's a bit of a nothing week. There's a lot of weather going on. It's just annoying at the moment. We could do with some significant rainfall, but I think just bide your time on top dressing just for another week or 10 days and see how you go. Certainly bide your time on drilling, but Mother Nature has already decided that's what you're going to do because it's too sticky and tacky to get out there and drill anyway. Thanks, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. 
Now, we know we say it's enough here on the programme that healthy soils are crucial to the future of farming. And for William Morfoot Limited, they're going back to basics to achieve it. Set up to deal with issues after the war, they're now in a similar position with Brexit about to happen. Tim Sisson is MD there. Yeah, a lot of history there. And we were originally involved in the post-war efforts to to bolster UK food production. So we were involved in... uh, upscaling of British farms, taking out a lot of hedges and trees and so on originally when farms were much more smaller and uh, fragmented than they are today. Um, We were heavily involved as well in things like ditch maintenance, ditch ditch creation, anything to do with water management and as well as all the drainage work we do, we also do a lot of work with environmental schemes, wetland creation, habitat creation and so on. So um, quite diverse. It's almost come full circle then, you know, you're yeah, post-war, we, we're now talking post-Brexit and the environmental issues it, that Michael Gove is talking about. It, interestingly, we have worked on, on wetland and environmental schemes which have involved re-wetting arable land that we drained 30 or 40 years ago. So it has, in some areas, gone full circle. Yes. And what, what do you actually do? It's a very important uh, business isn't it, to, to drain land, but you can actually save uh, farmers money by doing so in the right way. Yes, so our, our drainage schemes that we install uh, help to increase soil health uh, by removing excess surplus water from the soil and allowing crops to develop and grow better, which results in better yields and ultimately drives money to the bottom line of farm businesses. Soil health is very important, isn't it? Yeah, very topical at the moment. Uh, So uh, soil's been forgotten about uh, in some areas over the the recent past and it's recently become a lot more topical to... uh, to really focus and, and home in on the basics again and uh, and part of what we offer in the form of drainage is, is a really important basic to get right. We, we drive often past fields and we see lots of standing water in them, particularly this time of year. There is things they can do though, isn't there? Yeah, so a lot of the, the issue with um, drainage issues in the countryside stems from the fact that a lot of the older schemes that were installed uh, many, many years ago are now coming to the end of their useful working life. Um, so there's, there's a lot of replacement of older schemes going on um, and there's also a, a big drive from the farming community in general to, to recognise that uh, in these slightly uncertain times there's a need to do what you do to the very best of your ability and we're very lucky to work with people who are keen to see that happen. So how does it work? What do you actually do? If I was a farmer coming along now saying I've got a problem, what would you say? So we're involved in uh, initially going out and doing a full and detailed assessment of the the field that we're being asked to look at and we undertake a topographical survey of the area, Uh, we meet with the farmer, we understand exactly what's gone on beforehand, we look at older drainage schemes and older maps um, if if they're available to us, we understand if there's any underground utilities present in the field or any other factors that could affect a new scheme being installed. Um, We then collate all of that data together on the computers and put together a detailed proposal uh, with a quote and then subject to that quote being acceptable we come in and our equipment will dig trenches, stall the drains and install gravel backfill over the top of the drains all as one continuous operation so we get in and out on an efficient basis um, ideally in a window when the farmer wants us to be there. Tim Sisson, MD of William Morfoot Limited.
Now, as a listener to this programme, I'm guessing you do know where food comes from. I hope so, otherwise I'm not doing my job. But do children know? Louth Livestock Market this week hosted an event inviting schools in to find out more about life on the farm. Heather Cartwright went along to meet those behind the day. From farm to fork, knowing where our food comes from might be something that we take for granted. But one young Lincolnshire farmer says that children are becoming increasingly unaware about food production and that there are a lot of misconceptions about what happens in the farming industry. It's getting children interested and getting them to get engaged with it and learning about where stuff comes from. Oliver Chapman has brought pupils from local primary schools to Laos Livestock Market to educate them about where their dinner comes from. We've got about 70 pupils from three different schools. We've got North Thorsby, Utterby and North Summercoats with some two-week-old lambs for them to get interactive with and stroke and touch and everything. They're learning a lot and we're getting a lot of feedback of learning. They're asking lots of questions, which is also a good thing. The thing I've enjoyed most already is naming the parts of the sheep. And do you think you'd like to, to go into farming when you grow older? Yes, it's one of my most favourite things in life. I'll definitely give it a go. There is one or two in Lance Young Farms that are here today from one of the schools. And what have you both enjoyed about today? The tractor. Yeah, I really <laughs> like the tractor. What, what was it you liked about the tractor? Beeping. The horn. <laughs> so either of you thinking that you want to, to grow up and be farmers when you're older? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you think you'd like to do that? Because I like animals. Because I like working with sheep. They didn't know what lambs felt like and they didn't know this and, and so on. So it's just nice to put it out there and, and let them actually have the experience and engage with all the farming side of it and learning what we're actually doing and... That we're not all um, we're not all bad and everything like that that's portrayed in media sometimes. Not on this station, I hasten to add. Thank you, Heather Cartwright, reporting from Louth Livestock Market on that event, getting children involved in farming. It's crucial, of course, to the industry's future, as is the weather. The farming program five day forecast. Well, it's fair to say it's fairly calm once again. None of the uh, rain that Sean Sparling wants. We've had some overnight and there will be some further showers today, but nothing too much. The wind starts the week blowing from the northwest, gusting at uh, 20 to 30 miles an hour. But then later in the week, sort of Tuesday into Wednesday, it'll blow more from the south southwest. Again, maybe 10, uh, 20 miles an hour. As for uh, daytime temperatures, well, we're looking at uh, around 5 or 6 um, today. Overnight lows maybe uh, 2 freezing point possible come Tuesday but then fairly milder again with that uh, southerly wind turning uh, late Tuesday into Wednesday so we're looking at uh, lows to start Wednesday at six highs for the middle of the week of around 11 Celsius. Little if uh, any rain to come uh, this week by the looks of things. Possibility of some on Monday but it should be a mostly dry and uh, calm week as I say milder with those uh, winds blowing from the south. That's the forecast. We're talking weather again next week on the programme. The new technology that means you can get a forecast just for your field. Uh, We'll get an update on the beet campaign from British Sugar as well. That's next week. Until then, have a good week's farming.